Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. At Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, we're celebrating our annual bird dogs for Habitat campaign during the month of May. In its simplest terms, Bird Dogs for Habitat is a bird dog popularity contest. Check it out by going to birddogsforhabitat.org. Make a donation to our Habitat mission or buy, renew, or extend your Pheasants Forever or your Quail Forever membership and then point those dollars, uh, your contribution to your favorite breed of bird dog. $1 equals one vote. $35 membership equals 35 votes. So we're raising money for our Habitat mission all in the name of bird dog love. And uh, you're supporting the places where all of our bird dogs love to roam. And as a reminder, this is, I think this is the 11th year we've done this. Last year, we had more than 800 donors, 485 memberships sold, um, and our partners at Orvis, Sport Dog Brand, Perina Pro Plan, Rufflin Kennels, the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association, Project Upland, and the Flush Television Show all together helped us raise more than $75,000 for this bird dog breed popularity contest known as Bird Dogs for Habitat. And last year's winner, two-time defending champion, hashtag Team GSP, the German short-haired pointer. So we'll see if they can make it a, a three-peat. And to help kick off this year's festivities in this episode of On the Wing Podcast, I'm thrilled to welcome Callie Parmalee, the editor of Gundog Magazine. How fitting is that? And uh, also a contributor to both the Pheasants Forever Journal and the Quail Forever Journal. Callie, thanks very much for sitting through that long-winded introduction and making time to, to join me today. Hey, that's all right. It's a good campaign, so I love it. Happy to be here. It's a good fit for Gundog Magazine. And um, why, don't, why don't we start with your background? I, you've been you've been editor of Gundog for three-ish years, is that right? Yeah, going on three years now, yep. Tell us your background and um, how you got to be in, in the position you're in today. Sure. So I started um, before Gundog. I was with Peterson's Hunting Magazine. But prior to that, I started my career in the outdoor industry with a nonprofit called the Sportsman's Alliance. And I'm sure some of you are familiar with them. They uh, uh, fight against anti-hunting legislation. And so really cool program, really cool nonprofit to start out with. And I started in their youth program there and eventually moved over to their communications department because my degree is, you know, in photojournalism and, and um, really got my foot wet there and uh, started my both my career and my hunting career there. That's where I really got into hunting. I didn't hunt before that. Uh, I fell in love, love with it while there and worked there for a few years. Eventually, a position opened up at Peterson's Hunting Magazine, which is a big game hunting magazine, and continued uh, my adventures and really falling in love with the outdoors and hunting. And I eventually got 
a dog who I figured out my lab, he was a natural born hunter and he and I kind of learned how to be upland hunters together. And so that's where it all started. And after four years with Peterson's gun dog, Rick Van Etten was retiring and they asked me if I'd be interested in taking over the magazine. And I said, yes, absolutely. And here we are today. <laughs> so you grew up in Ohio, right? You spent some time in Illinois where Gundog and, and the parent company is based. Mm -hmm. And today you're talking to me from Salt Lake City. Is that right? Yeah, I live in Salt Lake now. Yep. I um, I got a little addicted to hunting and I was tired of driving 24 hours every time I wanted to go hunting. And I had the opportunity to work remotely and I just decided now or never. So I wanted to move out west. I knew some people in Salt Lake and it's a good central location to where I hunt. And here I am. <laughs> and I don't think I've had anybody, we've done like a hundred, almost 200 podcasts and I don't think wow. I've had anybody from Utah. So tell me about bird hunting in Utah. What, um, sure. what, what are the prospects? Cause maybe it's a, a hidden gem that we just have left. Well, I can't the tell radar. you if it's a hidden gem or not. It's <laughs> terrible here. <laughs> no, it's actually really cool. It's, um, I live in Salt Lake proper, but I can be hunting in 45 minutes. I can be hunting chuggers, uh, huns, uh, you know, you can, you can go down South and find quail. You can go head up to Idaho and get into all three species. It's just, it really is just a really cool state. I would call it a hidden gem for bird hunting and bird hunters. Hmm. And even if you don't want to hunt here, you have, you know, states that you can be within them within three or four hours. You know, last year I hunted Idaho, Nebraska, Arizona um south dakota you know it's it just it's a really cool location but utah itself is really cool for birds a lot of chucker hunters a lot of hun hunters hmm. so it's really cool you talked about you grew up and you weren't a hunter until you got um that first job in kind of the outdoor industry and we've talked a lot on this podcast about you know, forgive the term adult onset hunters, mm -hmm. right? Like it, there's lots of motivations for why people get involved. A, a frequent one that comes up is love of dogs, right? I had a bird dog and my dog pointed and oh my God, I, I had to follow that. And yep. it sounds like you didn't have a dog until you actually got into hunting. Um, so the dog probably wasn't the trigger for you some people they say the food you know harvesting their yep. food so so what was it for you that you i mean you're you're clearly passionate about it mm -hmm. and it's become it's become a central port part yeah, of your life yeah lifestyle kind of lifestyle honestly bob i grew up in the country i grew up in a very small community and so hunting wasn't strange at all mm -hmm. you know i grew up with the kids who you know drove their tractors to school so i grew up on a farm and um my grandpa raised uh, cattle and then he retired and then he, he actually raised and trained English setters. And I grew up with horses and trail riding and camping. And that was kind of my thing. So I was always really into the outdoors. Hmm. So when I um, got out of college and I found this job, it wasn't, it wasn't strange to me to do that at all. It wasn't weird. And so I had uh, a friend at work who asked if I'd be interested in going turkey hunting and he took me out just that one morning. I remember it was so fun. It was like a seriously like cool run and gun turkey hunt. We're on the ground, getting dirty, crawling, like we weren't in a blind. And just from that moment on, it was like I was hooked. Mm. And I just fell in love with it right then. 
and I start, slowly got more and more into it. And then I, I grew up with dogs. I grew up with a lab and everything, but never hunt. Besides my grandpa's setters, they were hunting dogs, obviously. Sure. But um, when I got Lincoln, I had a couple mentors, and he just showed the first day we took him out. He flushed like three birds and retrieved them. It was like all natural. Mm. So it was it was very like I told myself it would be awful if you didn't train this dog. Mm. You know, take advantage of this. This is very unique. And so because he was almost two by that point, I think. And, um, and then it, like you said, it, it really was the dog. Mm. It was like doing something fun with your dog and seeing, see them come alive and the passion that they have for it and something you can grow and do together. And that was really it. And between him and the big game hunting that I really got into, and I was already into backpacking. I was already into camping. It was all just a natural progression for me. Mm-hmm. It was like, I found that niche. It was like, I was missing something and I finally found it. Yeah. And you mentioned backpacking and big game hunting. And um, for folks that are listening, you're, you're awesome on Instagram to follow because you you do have just epic, like you mentioned, you got a photojournalism degree. So there's um, just some terrific photography of the combination of your talent, but also the cool places you're, you're at. <laughs> throw, cool. throw out your Instagram handle for folks that want to follow sure. you. Well, I appreciate that. So it's just my name. It's Callie, K-A-L-I, Parmley, P as in Paul, A-R-M as in Michael, L-E-Y, Callie yeah. Parmley. So I, I, I enjoy Instagram. I'm kind of, I'm kind of one of those, as a photographer, I, I have a photography degree. I'm kind of very picky about what I put on there. You know, it's very, got to be a good photo. So yeah, I, I really enjoy it, but I enjoy sharing my adventures and all the silly things that I do. <laughs> Like taking llamas into the backcountry to hunt a bird. Like, was, <laughs> Did you you do that in Arizona? Uh, I was in Utah. Oh, you were uh, okay. In Utah to hunt ptarmigan. They're very uh, few and far between here, and to get to them, you have to at least go in fifteen to twenty miles to mm. even get close to where they might be. And um, I, I had this idea and I knew it was kind of silly to, or just dangerous for me to go in the back country 15 miles by myself. So I called a buddy, Jared, and I said, do you want to do this with me? He was like, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, really cool trip. We didn't find the birds. Unfortunately, we had an accident with Jared's dog and he's fine and everything. But we got about 10 miles in and couldn't go any farther because of the accident. But um, the dog just got a cut above his eye and he was bleeding pretty badly and we couldn't get it to stop. And so even though we had med kits and everything, but I mean, it's a dog. He's going to, mm-hmm. every time we wrap it, he's going to paw it off, you know? So, um, super fun though. And those llamas, the dogs quickly learn to stay away from their feet. That was for sure. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you might not know this, but we share that in common over the last year. So I went, I know I saw that. It was fun. <laughs> you <laughs> llamas. Were you in Arizona? I was quail, in Arizona right? yeah, yeah, for uh Burns quail. And we, and like you, we didn't go as near as far back as you did. We only went like three miles back, but it was similar. It was like, let's get past oh, yeah. the, the concentration of people and the hunting pressure. And yep. with the llamas, then you carry in your food and your water and your tent and, and save your gear. back. Yeah. And and then you hunt from a base. Absolutely. Camp. Absolutely. So, and now that you've done it and I've, I've done it, it's like, I'm spoiled now. I don't know how I'm going to backpack anymore. After I had llamas carry everything. <laughs> they were fun though. I really enjoyed them. They were quirky little animals, but it was very convenient. Yeah. And you're right that dogs learn very quickly 
to stay away from the feet. Like, oh yeah, llamas are pretty docile, and there's mm-hmm. not any issue other than if the dogs are running back and forth on the yeah. like like they would a horse. Like that's yep. just bad news for both animals. Yeah, and they, they're honestly they were so easy, they're simple. You just tug them along on a lead line, but they didn't enjoy the dogs running near their feet and kind of coming up from behind. And so they, the dogs learned to stay in front and not, not run up from behind them. So yeah. it, it, it was great. It was a fun trip. Huh. Um, tell me about uh, Lincoln. Yeah. That mm-hmm. was, that's your Labrador, right? Correct. Yep. So why'd you choose a Labrador out of the gates as your first like uh, bird dog as an adult, right? Honestly, it was, I grew up with a lab. Mm-hmm. You know, lab is like American America's dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean of course I chose a lab and I chose him for a companion or whatever you want to call it you notice that companionship house dog and when he showed he had this natural instinct to hunt it was just so fun and that dog I that dog is a hunter and I didn't even have to do much it's like everyone always asks me like did you train him and I'm like yeah but honestly it was really easy he just mm. I don't know if he's like he speaks English I swear and <laughs> I, I just have to look at him and he knows what I want and now he's eight now, so maybe that's half the reason. But all mm. my friends always comment all the time about how he like speaks English. Um, but it was just very easy with him. And natural born flusher, natural born retriever, had a soft mouth. Mm. So I got really lucky that I had such an easy dog to train in the beginning. So it turned out really well for me. And then uh, when he turned six, I think, is when I decided it was probably time to add another dog to the pack. Because he was getting older. Okay. And that's and, when we went to the setters. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, if I recall, like we were at a Perina event together in St. Louis, and at that time you hadn't made a choice mm-hmm. on which breed, but you knew, if I'm recalling correctly, and you can correct me, um, my recollection is, you know, you were editor at Gun Dog, and you're like, I, my grandpa own centers and I've been around pointers, but I want to do this myself so I can speak to from a position of experience as the editor of Gundog. Like I, I have this lab, I know labs, I know setters, I grew up with them, but I want to train a mm-hmm. pointing dog um, myself. And, and that was sort of the position of, okay, that's why I'm going towards a pointer. But then fast forward to probably it was a year after that you selected a setter. What was the thought process on how you ended up with the setter being the pointer of choice? Well, I, I wavered between, I wanted a setter. I didn't think, I think I wanted, I wanted a pointing breed. I wanted Mm -hmm. to have that different type of hunting scenario. Um, I wanted to try that. I liked the way they hunted. I've, you know, I've hunted over many with their, with friends and everything. And I liked since I was ha, since I was such a Western hunter. I liked the idea of having a big ranging dog and and for different activities. And so, but I I did try to choose between. I wasn't sure if I wanted a setter or if I wanted a Griffon. Mm. And I'd hunted over a friend's Griffon, great dog, and that was making me kind of choose between the two. But honestly, in the end, the setter was the final decision because of my grandpa. I grew mm. up with the breed. He always had a setter in the house. I knew their temperament. Mm-hmm. Do their style. And so that, that in the end was what I went with. And I chose a breeder by actually reaching out to people and asking where they had gotten their dog and how they, and their temperaments and how they felt about them and their experience with the breeders. And I reached out to Nick Larson 
Um, I'm sure you know Nick. Yeah. And yep. um, he told me about Northwoods Bird Dogs. Okay, and so Jer- Jerry Coulter. Jerry and um, Betsy. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to them, and they were only a short drive from. I was visiting my art director in Minnesota, and they were like an hour from there. And so I went mm-hmm. up to visit his kennels, and just fell in love immediately. It was like, these are this is perfect. It's a beautiful facility. I like the way Jerry's and Betsy's dogs are raised and trained. Um, they are calm, cool, collected, <laughs> and just beautiful setters. And right mm-hmm. then, I knew. I like. I walked away and in a deposit that day like I just knew that was what I was gonna get you know so it was really cool really cool and do you have a so Lincoln is a male right mm-hmm, yeah and what'd you get on the setter side I got a male for some reason I have a thing for male dogs I'm not sure why that, so it's, I, it's I interesting like I I've only ever had females mm-hmm. and most people choose females and I just for some reason I don't I just like males for some reason I don't know hmm. and what's your setter's name his name is Jones. 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 It, yes, he is named after Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> the Adventures of Jones is his name. And Lincoln, named after? I uh, wanted this, uh, just a strong, I write down names of, for my dogs and my upcoming dogs in my phone and just movie character, book characters, people, history. I wanted it just a strong name. I felt Lincoln okay. was a strong name. So, so Lincoln is now eight. Jones mm-hmm. is now two. He'll be two in June. Yeah. So compare and contrast your experience in these two years with, with Jones. How's how's training a setter been different or similar or 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 some of each? I think. Um, I think when you have an eight-year-old dog and you get a puppy, you forget how hard the puppy stage was. Mm. I think you completely blind or blindsided again. And so the whole, uh, you know, the potty draining and at night and all that, like it was, it was a lot, but it was a typical puppy, but he caught on to everything within weeks. You know, I had him sitting within the first night and yes, I trained my setter to sit, which is, he still points just fine. And so, um, but if you, if the bird dog training itself, it was, I was really worried about it and I was really stressed. And I think because I grew up with that labs and I also, I trained, um, a service dog in college. I trained Mm. a golden retriever. So I like had this basic obedience type of training. I knew how to do it, but when it came to teaching a dog, to point, I felt like that was something I didn't have the skill set for, and I was so nervous about it. And now that I have two years later, if I could go back and tell myself two years ago, it's all natural and it's going to be easy, I would. Mm. <laughs> but when I first started, I was so stressed about it. You know, he didn't point the wing, <laughs> and he, um, uh, he chased, you know, he chased pigeons and he, he didn't point supernaturally, but I think, but as I now know, I mean, he was an eight week old puppy. (laughs) I mean, he didn't, it's it's something I have to draw out of him and teach him. And so now that I go back, it was hard back then, but now that I understand it, I'm like, 
you just needed to calm down and understand that you had a puppy and it was going to take a little bit for his natural instincts to come out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but I was, I was looking at social media and I was looking at YouTube videos and seeing all these other dogs, um, do, do things. And it's funny, I'm actually writing about this for quail forever right now about double or nothing, what I would do with my next bird dog. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling people not to believe what they see on social media mm. because you may see your dog a dog point on Instagram but what you don't see is the weeks that led up to that right and you don't see how many times that dog blew pounced up on bird. that yeah blew up the bird pounced on that wing mm-hmm. you don't see that you only see the good things cuz we use social media to show good things mm-hmm. mostly of us you know mm-hmm. so we we show them to show how hey look how cool this is and so if i could go back and compare the training, um, I will say that after I got through the initial steps where I thought my dog was broken (laughs) or thought I was doing something wrong, it was all just part of the process and that he was just going to figure it out with time and that he's just a young dog. He's Mm -hmm. a young dog. I don't think I realized that a setter or a pointing breed really doesn't come into their own until a year and a half or two years. Mm. I had people tell me, but I didn't believe them. Mm. I was like, no way. That's not what I'm seeing on Instagram. <laughs> you know? Right. So, and I, I had help from some great friends here in Utah. And one day I just clicked with him and hmm. I showed him a wing and finally he pointed it. And then one day we were out training with live birds and he just turned and point, just turned on a dime. He was running full speed, turned and stopped. And it was like, he gets it. He's hmm. not broken. He gets it. <laughs> so it was cool. What about the um, the honoring? Was that pretty natural for Jones? He did it. He did it naturally. Yeah. I that was. I didn't have to do one thing. Just did mm. it naturally. So it does speak to like you talk to dog trainers, like pros, right? And they say, mm-hmm. um, "Buy the paper," meaning you know the, the more you can buy bloodlines of. Mm-hmm. And I get pushback on this and I understand like people say, I don't want to buy a field trial dog. I don't either. I I really, I'm not real interested in playing the games, quote unquote, running Mm -hmm. trials. But when you are buying dogs with titles on the paper, you're buying understanding that you have dogs with gray matter in between their ears right you're yep. buying so, in intelligence well it's funny that you say that not to promote gun dog or anything but we actually just ran an article on this in our september issue or maybe it's our summer issue i'm old now um it, it's our summer issue it is about field trials and whether you should buy a field trial dog line a dog mm. from a line of field trials and essentially all the trainers that i work with professionally and as friends they run their dogs in field trials but they're also hunting dogs Mm -hmm. and yes absolutely there are traits in a traits of a field trial dog that's going to win a champion championship that you don't necessarily need in the hunting world Mm -hmm. but it shows you that that blue ribbon they have the drive and they have the stamina that you need for hunting Mm -hmm. so yes it's two very different things Mm -hmm. but it's showing you that you have a well-bred dog Mm-hmm. And a dog that is bred for his hunting instincts and drive. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I bought Jones from Northwood Bird Dogs with Jerry and Betsy, and I don't field trial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's from a he's from a 
field trying line, trialing line, but you know what? It's what, and, and you train your dog for what you plan to do with mm -hmm. it. I'm, I'm hunting. I'm just hunting, but my friends here who I work with, I work with Talmadge Smedley around here and I work with um, Tom Loy and they, they run both, but Talmadge will tell you straight up. He'll say, there's some dogs that I run in the hunting field that I won't trial because I know they're not going to win because of how their tail is set or how, you know, how they hold birds or how, or how they quarter to and from. And so it's like, there's different characteristics, but a good trialing dog will make a good hunting dog. Yeah. The bloodlines yeah. from it. Yeah. I, you're a hundred percent accurate based on the experience I've had with, with bird dogs. Like you're, you might pay a little extra on the front end, but, but uh, you're, not only peace of mind, but the ease with which, like you talk about this pup pointed or honored naturally, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, that's what you're buying. Cause trying to train some, <laughs> like, trying to train honoring yeah. with the silhouette. I mean, that's just, it, when it just happens naturally based on mm -hmm. their bloodlines, gosh, that makes life so much, so much easier. So and, and like, I say this with Jones too, like his training and his like his obedience training and what he picked up on right away it comes from good bloodlines he comes mm -hmm. from just good breeding and there's nothing wrong with not buying buying you know a dog that's won a blue ribbon i'm not saying that but i'm just saying like you said ease of mind mm -hmm. and just because you buy a, a puppy from a champion doesn't mean that puppy's going to be a champion True. but you can almost guarantee that it's going to be a good hunting dog mm-hmm you're right on the it's it's instincts are there you just got to pull them out a little bit you just got to pull them out just like me i had to do that the yeah. past year <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how about um you know some setters are reluctant retrievers and other uh -huh. setters are ferocious retrievers that'll give every, any lab or golden a run for their money what sure what uh, so what's your experience it's funny that you asked that. So when I first went with Jerry, I asked him, I said, I would like a setter that retrieves as well, because I knew I wouldn't be able to run Lincoln and Jones together for a long time, you mm -hmm. know, until Jones figures out what his role is. So if I, you know how it is, you down a bird and you go look in the, in the, in the grass and it's nowhere to be found. Mm -hmm. You know, we need a nose in there. So I wanted a, a setter that retrieved as well. And Jerry put it well to me. He said, listen, these dogs are bred to point mm -hmm. and that's going to be their main job. But you may get lucky and get one that retrieves, but it's going to be really good at pointing is essentially mm. what he told me. Mm. So I went in knowing that Jones probably wasn't going to retrieve. And here's where I think um, I fully 100% believe an older dog can train a younger dog. I believe Jones is calm and obedient because of Lincoln a lot. Mm. I think he saw Lincoln's calm nature when I told Lincoln to sit he's looking at you know yes I taught him but you could tell things were carrying over to the young puppy watching the adult dog and one thing is retrieving so I started noticing I'd take them both to the park and throw Lincoln his bumper and Jones was like he wants to mimic everything Lincoln does mm -hmm. so he's like well, that's cool what's he doing all of a sudden he picked up this bumper and brought it back mm. <laughs> and I'm like whoa so recently he, he will, so I started playing fetch with him and trying to encourage a fetch from him and he would fetch it and at least bring it halfway back. Hmm. So then, and then it's like all of a sudden things just start clicking. I taught him, I did not teach heel right away cause I was a little worried it would keep him from ranging out, which now that I know this, it's probably silly, but, um, 
I was teaching him heel just a couple months ago. And Jones now, you throw a bumper for him and call him into heel, and he's like a he's like a lab. He comes in with the bumper and heels next to you with the bumper. Mm. And I'm like looking at him like, who are you? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> now this is funny. I'll tell you this story that we were hunting Tucker the last day of the season this year. And um, a wild flush, Jones didn't point him. He was off at another area. I was on this really rocky mountainous steep thing and wild flush. And I, I threw a Hail Mary because they they flushed about only like 20 yards from me. So of course you're going to, you know, send one. Definitely didn't think I hit one. And Jones must've saw them fly down this mountain. And I climb over the peak and I'm seeing him and I'm thinking he, it was kind of, the ground was kind of barren. So I'm thinking he's seeing them running because mm. I knew they, I knew they flew and didn't fly far. So he's like chasing and I'm thinking I'm buzzing, I'm beeping him. Cause I'm going, no, like we're not going to chase. I know you see him cause he's not low trained. Yeah. I know mm. you see him, but we're not going to chase him. Cause I, we can go down there and get back on him. Jones, sure. You know? Sure. And, um, I only see, I can see one bird from where I am. And then all of a sudden I, it kind of flaps and I tell, I can tell I've winged it. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I'm at least a hundred yards up this mountain. You know how fast those things, mm -hmm. you know, run. So I go from beeping <laughs> to going, cause I realize it's winged it. And I realize Jones is trying to fetch it. And I go from going, no, 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 to going, get it, get it, get it. And I watch that dog chase that tucker down and he went over a rise and he was at least at least 75 yards from me and he kind of goes out of sight so i'm trying to go down this mountain to quickly get down thinking he's at least pinned it i don't know if he'll bring it back to me but he's at least pinned it and all of a sudden he comes back over and he's got that tucker in his mouth mm. and he brought it back all the way to the base of the mountain he made me climb down the mountain to come and get it but i was just pumped and that like yes i brought like of course he, you know, he's chasing a bird, but also he's chasing a wounded bird. So I'm going to like, get it. I want you to, you know, ethically, I want you to get that bird. But in the end, it was just kind of like, at first I'm going, no, no, no. Then I'm going, get it, get it, get it. <laughs> and do you have a photo of the, of Jones with that bird? Oh yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. That's, that's great. That's a hero <laughs> moment. He wouldn't bring it up the mountain. It was so funny. He brought it all the way back to the base and he kind of looked at me like, yeah, I did. I did the hard work. You got to come down and get it now. That's so, awesome. It was cool. So you talked about, you know, the dog um, Jones learning from Lincoln. You also mentioned that you knew you were going to wait a while before hunting them together, flusher mm -hmm. and a pointer. Tell me about that. Where where are you at today? And and because I'm assuming based on what you said that you do hunt them together today. And how's that go? Well, I so Jones is still very much. He's he's almost two. He still is very much like a. You know how they always say he follows you around like a puppy. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how he is. And he just loves Lincoln. And it's you know it kind of it hurts my heart a little bit because I think he's very attached to Lincoln and I'm a little worried you know Lincoln's getting older and so anyways but he follows everything Lincoln does hmm. so this summer is when I'm going to start woe training okay um I decided just to focus on his natural instincts coming out and what's funny is he's actually really good at holding birds unless he sees them if he sees them start running then he breaks but like anyways um I don't think he's ready to hunt with Lincoln yet because he's not woe trained. And I think he gets a little competitive hmm. with Lincoln just because, well, I see him getting that bumper. I see him, you know, getting in on those birds. I want to do that. And right. so I, I think it will be a few more years 
before I can hunt them together. Gotcha. But so, I eventually would. And is your intent? So I, I have a good friend that has a short hair in a lab. And he, mm-hmm. he's trained the lab when the short hair goes on point, the lab sits. Mm-hmm. Is that is that your thought process? Um, yeah, you want my to get? thought is yes. My thought is Jones ranges. Lincoln keeps his typical thirty yard range, and when Jones goes on point, keeping Lincoln at heel mm-hmm. until I get close enough to send Lincoln in for the flush. Yeah. That's what I think. But Jones has to be very much woe trained to do that. Yeah. So when when you get to that point, it's it's epic, as you can imagine. I know. <laughs> but <laughs> it but it takes a. It takes, well, it's just a lot of variables, right? You have yeah. a dog with instincts to to flush, yeah. which is challenging and creating competition with a dog that has instincts to point and trying yeah. to work them in harmony. Yep. It takes a lot. And it, it takes a lot and it may not work. I, I have hunted over, uh, just like you said, you know, I have hunted over people who run labs and, and pointers at the same time. It may not work and which is okay too, because then I have two dogs rest one while one goes out or mm-hmm. one day one hunts the next day the ne- other one hunts so it's fine either way right. but i think i am a long way from it though for sure okay yeah. um i'll transition here tell us about uh, gun dog magazine what you got uh, what you got coming up on the horizon and, sure, and have so- you started planning your hunts for the year ahead <laughs> a little bit yeah i have actually um so i don't know in the last year we really blew up gun dog we made it bigger and better and we went from, uh, you know, a 60 to 80 page magazine to a 120 page perfect bound magazine. And we kind of felt that was the way to go. We felt like that's what people wanted. They wanted bigger, bolder, more, more info and, and beautiful imagery to go along with it. Mm-hmm. And along with that, we also redid our website so that we could offer people even more information and uh, training videos along with that. And so what's cool about Gundog is... Your subscription, so they're on the website, some of it's free, some of it's behind a paywall. And the stuff behind a paywall is things like hundreds of videos of training, uh, how-to training videos from top guys in the country, uh, you know, Tom Dawkin and Bob West. And so that's that paywall is cool because your subscription to Gundog gets you behind that paywall. Hmm. So it's not like something else you have to add on to your subscription or whatever. And so... Um, had a lot of great feedback this year. This was, um, we're going on the second year of this new, you know, you know, new product that we're putting out for you guys. And it's just been really fun. It's been fun to figure out what readers want and to completely just make this big, beautiful magazine even better. So. Cool. And, and what's on your hunting calendar next year? Oh, let's see what I have planned. Um, Got some big game stuff, and then I'd like to start the season out in Montana. I missed Sharpie season last year in Montana, so I want to want to do that this year. And I uh, want to get down, bucket list is go down to southern Arizona. I've hunted northern, well, I've hunted around the Phoenix area, mid-Arizona. Mm. Um, I'd like, I think I'm going to go back up to the Grouse Woods near you. Cool. Let me know. Annual- annual pheasant hunt with some friends in nebraska that we're going to make a tradition we did that last year it was super fun and other than that just i love hunting idaho around here i love hunting utah turkey season opens next week here for me so (laughs) that's what's on the radar right now turkey season and training season well when you uh make it to minnesota let me know and we can trade a, a grouse hunt for a, uh, a Utah chucker hunt. 
Absolutely. <laughs> I will give it to you guys in the Northwoods for being able to climb through all that foliage and shoot a bird <laughs> and find it. And holy oh, I went and hunted um, at Pine Ridge this year. Mm. I don't know if you knew that mm. with, um, and it was just so, I was just humbled. I mean, you guys, I have hunted there before. When I lived in Peoria, I went up to hunt the grouse woods and I got turned around and luckily I had, you know, GPS running because everything looks the same there. There is no <laughs> landmarks. And I had to like breathe a minute to be like, you're not lost. You know, the trails in front of you just keep going. Um, but I went up this year and a, a doodle flush and I just sent a Hail Mary and somehow I connected on it. I still to this day don't know how. And that was my <laughs> first doodle in the Northwoods. And then um, uh, I ended up shooting a grouse as well, but too shady, you guys. Holy moly. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I may be able to pick my way through the grouse woods, but I'm sure you'd leave me in the dust climbing a mountain. <laughs> That's all right. I'm a flatlander. <laughs> we'll show you a good time out here. We'll give you some water breaks, I guess. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for joining me. Oh, uh, uh, tell us a little bit again what you're. You said you're writing for Quail Forever, um, an article coming up. Tell us, tell us about that for a moment. I am. So I pitched it as Double or Nothing. What I would do next with my what I would do with my next bird dog, and it's basically telling the story of what right. I've learned, uh, how I would handle things differently the next time, and how to calm down the next time and not be so nervous. You know, so giving that, a little bit of advice to those readers. That's right. That So that jogged my memory of what I was going to ask is, so you've had a lab, you've had mm -hmm. a setter. What's the third dog going to be? Ooh, honestly, it'd probably be another setter. Okay. They're so, one, I, and I know this sounds, but you know how you have that one dog who you'd never be able to replace? Mm. That would be Lincoln. And so he's my beloved dog and it'd be hard to replace him as a lab. So, and Jones and his sweet nature, I, you've got GSPs and I'm sure they're a little bit the same, but they are, setters are just such sweet dogs mm -hmm. and quirky and weird, but really smart. And um, I, I think it probably had to be a setter. Cool. Well, Honestly. I look forward to seeing dog number three on Instagram at, <laughs> at Callie Parmalee and that's K-A-L-I-P-A-R-M. M L E Y. Correct? Correct. That's it. Yep. All right. And then Gundog Magazine. If you're not a subscriber, you should be gundogmag.com. Cool. Yep. Thank you very much, Tally, for joining me. Thanks for having me, Bob. Love talking. Yeah. And I'll remind folks um, Bird Dogs for Habitat going on all month, all the month of May. Thanks to our sponsoring partners at Orvis. Sport Dog Brand E-Collars, Perina Pro Plan, Rufflin Kennels, the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association, NAVDA, Project Upland, and The Flush, our television show on Outdoor Channel. Thanks to our, all of our partners and thanks to all of our members. And if you're not yet a member, go to birddogsforhabitat.org, become a member of Pheasants Forever and or Quail Forever, and your 35 bucks can be pointed towards your favorite breed. And you will help be helping us create those places where bird dogs love to roam. For Callie Parmalee, editor of Gundog Magazine, I'm Bob St. Pierre, reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks for listening, folks.